Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine, or at KSLNewsRadio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero, and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Today, we will take you from the Supreme Court of the United States in Washington, D.C., where they're hearing arguments right now about why President Trump and his attorneys believe he should be on the ballot in Colorado. And we will hit the court of public opinion as well here in the state of Utah where parents of a child who was ridiculed on social media by a post that was put up by a state school board member and eventually deleted have called for her resignation. The court of public opinion is guilty. That is the verdict. It is clear. It's 9.08. It's time for the launch. Sequence engaged. And brought to you by Mountain America Credit Union. Here are the three things that Debbie wants you to know. Countdown three. Well, I got a chance to listen into some of the arguments that President Trump's attorneys are making right now before the court. Justices, of course, as always, asking for some clarifications um, to their argument. They are hearing arguments this morning over whether former President Trump can be banned from the 2024 ballot in Colorado. Uh, Trump's attorney, Jonathan Mitchell, said he can't be banned under the 14th Amendment, which regards insurrection. He says because he's an elected official, not an officer. Hmm. We don't know if that's just a technical uh, argument, a technicality he's trying to argue there, but there's going to be a lot more to this argument. It's going on for hours, at least an hour and a half, probably longer. Uh, Mitchell arguing that former President, attorney of, uh, former President Trump should not be blocked from seeking a second term. Well, what else is he going to argue? A ruling from this court that affirms the decision below would not only violate term limits, but take away the votes of potentially tens of millions of Americans. Again, this is just one of the many issues that uh, former President Trump is dealing with. Uh, There's the removal of his name from the primary ballots. There's the indictments. There's so much surrounding uh, President Trump, former president right now. It's hard to keep it all straight. And this is just the latest. Countdown to... Let's take an in-depth look at the state of maternity leave in Utah. On the heels of an attempt on Capitol Hill to build in three weeks of paid maternity leave for public school teachers in Utah, Dave and I got curious. Is paid maternity leave widely offered widely offered in, to, by employers all across Utah? Well, we're going to have one of the leading experts who has been researching what we could call now the fourth trimester, that trimester after the baby is born. She'll be calling us at 10.05 to give us more info on that. And it's so different from company to company. There is no standard that I know of and what is legally required. And the huge difference for me is the difference between paid maternity leave and unpaid maternity leave. Launch countdown. One. State school board member Natalie Klein being t- 
told to resign by parents of a high school girls basketball player who was publicly shamed and humiliated on Klein's Facebook post. The post is a photo of their daughter on a high school girls basketball flyer. The child's face was scratched out and their toned and muscular arms were showing. And over the photo, Klein's post read, girls basketball, dot, dot, dot. Klein has since said her post never insinuated the girl was a boy. But the overall post with the comments left up for hours, sure did. Calling this girl a he, a dude. Calling for his removal. All right, adults who made those comments. She is a she. Here's the child's mom you were publicly shaming. To look at someone's outer appearance and make an assumption that they are either playing in the right arena or not based on the way someone looks, I don't think is appropriate. How in the world does a state school board member get something so wrong? There are a few times when you just cannot be wrong. Like we, you would never ask a, a woman if she were pregnant, right? The, you can't assume certain things. And this is a line that was absolutely crossed and trying to pretend like, oh, well, th- this is was, was taken out of context by the commenters is such a garbage backtrack. I'm offended by it. Dave and Dijanovic. The launch. Commence. Dave and Dijanovic. Dave and Dijanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. As I was reading those comments uh, and, and I saw that post, Dave, I was physically getting, uh, just getting ill, a pit in my stomach. And I was so sad for this teenage girl. Falsely, horribly ridiculed on social media post. Um, and a post that originated on the page belongs to a state school board leader, a member of the school board, and it's up there for hours, just marinating with mean and evil comments before it's finally deleted. Now, is this a conversation that is going on right now in this country? Absolutely. Whether or not transgender athletes should be playing in in certain sports. Yes, that is absolutely in the conversation the absolute failure to confirm whether or not this child this kid was indeed a transgender athlete is so incredibly offensive you've got to have your facts straight before you make a post like this make a phone call make 10 phone calls don't post at all it's not your place perhaps uh, but you, if you don't know the facts, it, yeah, make a phone call. You have to make 10 phone. Don't even make the post. If you it, have to make the post, you have to be right. Here's what KSL five television Shelby Lofton, uh, learned when she spoke to the child's parents, she went to their home and spoke to the child's parents after they found out about Natalie Klein's social media post regarding their child. 
Your daughter is being accused of being a boy playing girls basketball. That's what Al and Rachel Vanderbeek were told this morning when school officials showed them a Facebook post featuring their daughter. Utah State Board of Education member Natalie Klein posted this picture with the caption girls basketball dot dot dot. And I started reading some of the comments. I mean, they were just disgusting. The parents believe Klein insinuated their daughter is a boy. To look at someone's outer appearance and make an assumption that they are either playing in the right arena or not based on the way someone looks, I don't think is appropriate. The couple describes their daughter, whose image KSL is blurring, as a tomboy. She cut her hair short because that's how she feels comfortable. She wears clothes that are a little baggy. She goes to the gym all the time, so she's got muscles. They told her about the widely circulated post, which Klein has since taken down. We just took her in another room and just started telling her the truth. They started reading her the comments, Dave, that were left on that social media post that was put up by Natalie Klein. They read it to her. I think they made the right move. Yes. They did exactly what you have to do. You have to address it head on. Let the child know what to be prepared for because the next day is going to be rough. The next perhaps several weeks. Exactly. I'm not even – I was thinking if this were my child, I mean, my fear would be that she would – put herself in a dark room for days and weeks if she was publicly shamed like that. And publicly shamed by adults, I think, is far different and even far more humiliating than being shamed by, you know, somebody at your school who doesn't like how you look or dress. Uh, You know, uh, to me, there is no higher calling as an adult than to protect all children. And this was a complete and utter failure we haven't even told you what the comments were yet on that post. Uh, there was a big pile-on from adults in this post that were so disturbing. We're going to tell you what they said next. Dave and Dujanovic. Dave and Dujanovic. Dave and Dujanovic. Dave and Dujanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. Uh, we've been talking about this um, high school girls basketball player. She plays on the girls' high school basketball team in the Granite District, and she plays on the girls' high school basketball team because she is a girl. She was publicly shamed for hours on a Facebook post by state school board member Natalie Klein. Uh, the girls' photo uploaded, it was on a poster, of you know, a basketball flyer. It looked like it had been taken off of another social media post and posted on Klein's page. Uh, And the photo of the girl, you can see she's got muscular arms. Um, And this post insinuates that this child is transgender. And the pile-on of comments under Klein's post were so incredibly devastating, I could not imagine adults, adults across Utah, bullying, shaming, humiliating a child, and you were wrong to top it off. You were flat wrong. And it's bad enough that an adult would do this. The fact that this is somebody and a part of the Utah State Board of Education, I'm baffled, absolutely baffled, that you would take one of the children that you're supposed to be caring for and advocating for and improving their educational experience, that you could miss so wildly on this. It, 
it just has me shaking my head. And the fact that it was up for, what, 16 hours? That's incredible as well. The comments left there to marinate going after this child, making false statements about this child. I'm going to get into those in just a few minutes. Uh, just a few moments ago, I said that the face, the child's face was scratched out, and I'm not 100% sure it was scratched out because Dave pointed out that KSL 5 television blurred the photo. The post I saw of the original post had the face scratched out, but this is why we've reached out to Natalie Klein the state school board member, and the state school board to ask them to join the show so we can ask her these questions. Did you scratch out or blur the child's face? And why in the world would you ever think that a post like that was okay? Uh, Because now we have a child who's been publicly shamed on a social media platform that reaches, I don't know, billions? Yeah, of course. Um, so phone lines are always welcome to both, uh, of course, Natalie Klein. Our producers reached out to you through the state school board. You're welcome to call in um, at any time. Uh, we will put you on the air and as well as the state school board. Dave, I, I wanted to go over some of these comments because secondary to the child's well-being, my thoughts immediately went to what in the world state of mind are these people in? as adults, to be piling on the way they were piling on on her social media post. Did you see some of those comments, too? Um, unfortunately, yes. Let me read through some of them. Um, and by the way, Castle 5 Television has talked to the parents. We're going to hear more uh, of what they told KSL 5's Shelby Lofton in just a moment, um, calling for Natalie Klein's resignation. Uh, Their full names are on there. I guess I don't know if they're using pseudonames or not, but some of them uh, look like, you know, average everyday Utah names uh, of adults posting on on, under this under this uh, photo saying one says all the girls on both teams should boycott the games until he is removed from playing. Another commenter said he's averaging 11 points per game on the woman's team. Not very good. Well, he is a she, and 11 points per game at 16 years old for a teenager, for a girl, is awesome. So you were wrong. Another commenter, female, a woman, an adult, posted, one of these things is not like the other. The level of assumption going on here is so offensive. The post originally, awful, but the following comments from adults that are chiming in, again, they don't know. They don't know what's happening. They're just, this is the danger of the post in the first place. In the post coming from uh, a school board member, that is, that lets a, lends a level of credence and credibility that kind of opens up the floodgates for all the other commenters. But the post of the photo and then over the photo is girls basketball dot, dot, dot. You didn't have any information to go on. So you're making transphobic slurs and remarks 
about a child who is a girl playing on the girls' basketball team. You had nothing to go on from that original post. Now, she's since come back, Klein has come back and said, you know, my original post, now deleted, in parentheses, never claimed to be, never claimed the student was a boy. For those who are still claiming the student is a boy, please know that several people I know and trust have reached out to me who personally know this girl. Okay, so there she acknowledges she is a girl and have vouched that she is in fact a biological girl and always has been since birth. That was that was those were the words of Natalie Klein, the state school board member that replaced the post she deleted about this child with an apology that I'm going to say was half-baked, a half-baked apology. She apologized several times in her post. But then she goes on to say a lot of other stuff in that post. Yeah, trying to lend some justification or clarification. There's no question she apologized several times in the post. You may not have not liked the, the apology, But when we heard from the parents, and KSL Television interviewed the parents, and the parents were so concerned about what this could have meant, they had to go in and show this to their daughter and break the news to her that this is something you're going to have to be ready for tomorrow. And can we we continue that a a little bit, Debbie, in in the next segment? I want to talk about the parents' side of things. Uh, of what they had to do, and the fears that they have of how this will impact their daughter. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Dave and Dejanovic. Dave and Dejanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. We're talking about a Utah school board member who serves on the state school board. Natalie Klein, in fact, uh, Caitlin, uh, you put out a message to her, our producers put out a message to her uh, to join the show. Has she has she contacted you back yet to book a time? Okay, she has not been back in touch with us. Our invitation uh, still stands uh, to school board member Klein to join the show at any time today. Uh, she made a social media post on Facebook. It insinuated that a girl... A basketball player on a high school girls' basketball team was transgender. Uh, That perhaps uh, she was playing on the girls' team illegally. And KSL 5 Television spoke with the girls' parents, uh, who said that it's not true. (laughs) Their daughter is a girl. To look at someone's outer appearance and make an assumption that they are either playing in the right arena or not, based on the way someone looks I don't think is appropriate. She cut her hair short because that's how she feels comfortable. She wears clothes that are a little baggy. She goes to the gym all the time, so she's got muscles. Now, we know from the comments that were on that page from people that were just absolutely humiliating this child, those comments were up for hours. I saw one comment that had been there for nine hours. Um, Natalie Klein finally removed the post and then posted an apology. But at that point... The damage was done. And although it was the right thing to do to remove the post and apologize, I can't wrap my head around the post in the first place. Even if it were true, 
that a trans girl was playing on the girls' team, there is a system in place. There is a Utah law in place that, number one, allows this. It allows trans girls to play on a girls' team. They have to go through a process. If the trans girl were in violation, though, there's a process for that as well. It is not by using social media to shame a high school kid. I'd like to ask Klein if she calls in, do you know about this process? It's state law and you sit on the state school board. We're going to find out more about the process in just a moment. Uh, Klein's apology, um, she apologizes about the post. She took it down. Says, my deepest apologies for the negative attention my post drew to innocent students and their families. Also adding a lot of other things to this apology, including, we live in strange times when it is normal to pause and wonder if people are what they say they are because of the push to normalize transgenderism in our society. It seems to me that she's trying to justify her original post by saying that. Well... I had I had referenced earlier that there was a, a law in place uh, that right. prevented trans girls from participating in on the girls' teams. And one of the commenters was Representative Kara Birkeland, yes, who sponsored the bill, and she pushed back on the on Klein's post. She absolutely pushed back on the post. She sponsored that bill that put restrictions on transgender girls playing on girls' teams, and in fact said. This is not brave or responsible to attack someone based on their outward appearance, especially when it's a child. It's horrible. And Berkland says, leaves on the post, there's a process in place to make sure that high school athletes in Utah are fair and where appropriate, or high school athletics in Utah are fair and where appropriate, separated by sex. Trust the process. That was from Berkland herself, who was the sponsor of that legislation that led to a creation of a commission that determines whether a child is eligible to play. To learn more about that, Amy Donaldson joins us, a former reporter with the Deseret News for years and years. Uh, Amy, you and I have covered high school sports uh, for, for a long time. So can you backtrack <laughs> a little bit? Walk us through what the Utah law says about transgender athletes. Well, I mean, that's changed. And I, I think the important thing in terms of this story is that the commission that has been set up to, to sort of oversee or, you know, give the final ruling on these cases um, is, is a private, it's run by the attorney general's office. And these issues are dealt with at a school level. So when a kid signs up to play sports, they go to their school and all the documentation they need to play Mm -hmm. goes through their school. And then the UHSAA, the Utah high school activities association relies on the school and the parents in submitting anything that they need, but they don't actually take any private documents. That's all settled at the school level. And so I think the biggest issue is we're acting as if this is offensive because it's untrue. And I think the question, there's a few questions, but one of them is, would this be less offensive if this was a transgender student that was allowed to participate? Would this be, would it be Mm. okay to bully this child? Absolutely not. Good point. No, I, yeah. I agree. So I agree I with you, Amy. That is absolutely a great point, and absolutely not. Um, yeah, bullying children online is is horrible. One of the things, Nat- yeah, one of the things Natalie is saying is that 
um, we can't talk about this or we can't ask questions. And, you know, I have an aunt who's 78 years old now, 79. And when I watched her play softball as a kid, people would yell that she was a man. So this has been going on for time since time and memoriam, as long as women have been playing sports. And I think that the questions that some people have been asking is, can we discuss this? If you have questions, you need to go to your school. You need to have those questions at the local level. And, and these things are, it's so difficult. The process is so um, arduous. They have to have doctor's notes and psychologist notes and, meet with and in some cases there's it's set up to have a physical exam um they have to disclose all kinds of things that you and i never had to disclose to play sports and so i think though that process if you don't think that if you don't trust that and i do think kara burke releasing the number of kids who were ejected um for playing high school sports it is a violation of privacy laws but that was part um, of the well, yeah that was part of her po- yeah that was part of her post um that there was a um, that there were four students have been have been before the commission and that they have been rejected. That's information uh, that I wasn't aware of, but Dave says he's read that before uh, by a, that's been posted by other media. Amy, I I actually read it in the Salt Lake Tribune. The Salt Lake Tribune admitted, and and this is what the Tribune says: is the Tribune has previously noted that the commission appears to have talked to about four students uh, or about four student cases. So. Uh, yeah, Berkland referenced it. I, I have seen it from the Tribune in the past as well, but you're saying that's a violation of the law? Yeah, so releasing any information on numbers or rejections or any private information, what it does is it undermines the commission and its work, right? So if the, if the if parents are going to go to the commission, if they if they go through this process and they end up at the commission, where they're basically arguing for the right for their kid to participate in high school sports, um, they have to have confidence that that information is private. And if that information is not protected, if it's not private, then it undermines the ability of the commission to actually do its work. Um, because who's going to go and disclose this information if they think it's going to be made public? I think the number four might come from the fact that when this law was passed, the UHSAA said there were only four transgender students participating. Here's the, the other thing that's important for people to remember when they see stuff like this on social media, that it's less than a fraction of a percentage of, of people who even identify as transgender. So you having suspicions or whatever is your problem. And I think once you start having regular people, parents in the stands, policing people's gender, you're going to have them enforcing gender, gender stereotypes. I'm a tomboy. I know I like I've been asked many times why I don't dress more feminine. Like, do we want to define do we want regular people asking questions and having conversations and defining who's a girl and who's not a girl or who's feminine enough or not feminine enough? There's a process in place and it's become much, much more difficult. Um, And if people have questions about that, they need to go to their school first and then you can go to High School Activities Association. There are lawsuits on this matter right now. I'm there may be more if, if this doesn't but 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 in my opinion adults attacking or criticizing you know i hear terrible things all the time you've probably heard them too dave from the stands yeah these are children playing and people yell terrible things about their athletic skill anyway but to add into it gender in a situation where i mean i just remember name calling being an issue um you know derogatory names but i just can't imagine that this is um 
there's just anything productive. There's no interaction for normal people, for regular parents in the stand and the commission. You don't get to ask questions of them. You don't get to get information from them. You have to go to your school or your yeah. coach or your that's you know, the key there, local Amy. Level. And thank you, that's thank great you. That's great information. That's perfect. And it's simple information. to understand. Very simple, uh, because again, the the process is in place. It's handled largely behind closed doors. If you have a genuine concern, then you can, as Amy Donaldson had just described, you go to the school and you can, you know, speak in private, shouting it from the stands, writing it and and putting it on blast on social media is completely and totally inappropriate. And that's not an edgy take. These are kids. These are minors. You would never out somebody, you know, for their sexual orientation. You don't make these assumptions if they put it out there and it is well known and they, and they've spoken on it uh, themselves, the child. Okay. That's a different story, but you just made an assumption from a picture that you saw. That's shameful. Well, we've talked about what went down in the court of public opinion. Well said, Dave. Shameful. Uh, but let's talk about next uh, a court of law. What will KSL legal analyst Greg Scordis bring to the table when he calls in regarding the possible legal ramifications of a social media post like this? David Dujanovic. David Dujanovic. David Dujanovic. David Dujanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. We're going to continue talking about the state school board member who made a post on social media insinuating that a girl basketball player was transgender. KSL Television uh, spoke with the girl's parents and said... they said this is not true. Your daughter is being accused of being a boy, playing girls basketball. And once they found out about the post, they became afraid of, of what could happen to their daughter. I mean, worst case scenario, she could have ended her own life. And that is bone chilling to hear a, a father say that. Now, we've talked about what what would your reaction be or what is what's happening in that girl's life right now? Is she embarrassed? I hope this girl walks into school today with her head held high, comfortable in her basketball shoes. She has nothing to be embarrassed about. It's the adults in this story that should lock themselves in a dark room of shame. That's who really should be embarrassed. This girl has nothing to apologize for, nothing to be ashamed of. It's as clear as day to me that it's the adults that have the problem, not the kids. And it was a state school board member, Dave, Natalie Klein, who made this initial post, writing, in parentheses, constitutionally protected speech, girls basketball, dot, 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 over a photo of a flyer, this girl, who has muscular arms. A short haircut. Insinuating that this girl was transgender, and all of the comments just baked on Klein's Facebook post until she deleted it. It was up for hours, and then she issues an apology. And she says, um, I previously shared a public advertisement for a school basketball game that was sent to me by multiple concerned parents, and it created a firestorm around one of the players pictured. Personal information as well as derogatory comments about the player were made by several commenters. 
to protect the player, I have removed the post. Klein goes on to say, My deepest apologies for the negative attention my post drew to innocent students and their families. Greg Scordis joins us right now, KSL legal analyst. And Greg, they're as distasteful as this post was, uh, as as impacted as the family and the the child must must have been. Is there any kind of legal line that was crossed? Well, first of all, Dave, I very very much appreciate your earlier comments about the fact that this uh, this young woman should feel absolutely uh, proud of herself and not be embarrassed at all. And hopefully she's hopefully she's doing well. You know, uh, to answer the the legal question, uh, there certainly could be some civil ramifications against the the woman that posted this. I mean, I think that the little girl's family could very well file a lawsuit against her for what we call intentional infliction of emotional distress or even negligent infliction of emotional distress. I mean, it's just it's just uh, inappropriate. I don't know that there should be a lawsuit. I'm not suggesting that. But to answer your question, yes, there are. I, I don't think there's a criminal violation here. Um, and, and I looked at the code, and, and Debbie and I were sort of were going through this last night and this morning. Um, I would hope at the very least that the school board would remove this, this woman if that's, her, if that's her position on uh, transgender kids or even kids who are not transgender who may you know, look a little more like they're, they're the opposite sex. So it's a little troubling that she's on a school board. You would hope at the very least Granite District would remove her. Well, she's on the state school board, to be clear, Greg, not the Granite School Board that, that I'm aware of. She serves as a member of the state school board, which is, you know, separate from the Granite District. So this would have to be something that the state school board, I mean, could they impeach her? I, yeah, that's a tough one because it's an elected position. Yeah, so she was elected to that I mean, position. I, I mean, maybe the citizens right. are recall. I don't I don't. I, those are just all questions that we've got to track down answers to today. Well, you'd hope that she would just take the high road, Debbie, and withdraw and resign and say, I, I shouldn't be on the school board. Uh, I don't know that that's the case. Uh, you talked about her apology. I read it. It was not as sincere as I would have hoped. And she talked about, well, you know, there's two sides to this kind of thing. It was really problematic. Um, when she talks about other parents who talk to her about transgender kids and whatnot, and the, the bottom line is this this was – this was just a girl who was playing basketball and, and at a junior high girl, just a, a young kid, you know, at, at an age when all of us were, you know, very concerned about our image, uh, where we were, how we were growing up. I mean, it's the toughest time in your life, probably one of the times in a person's life when they're most likely to harm themselves. And you hope that uh, nothing like that comes back. Yeah. Well, Greg, thank you for joining us, KSL Legal Analyst. And uh, as he described, you know, the possible civil suits, uh, the infliction of emotional distress, that's sports, Debbie. I I can't tell you, Amy Donaldson alluded to it, but she and I have been to thousands of of high school games. And we've heard some horrible, despicable, transphobic, uh, homophobic, racist things uh, that happens, you know? So the fact that it happened on social media, I just want to be very clear. This is not just a social media problem. This is happening live on the court and players are, are subject or they're being hurled these kind of, 
uh, outbursts and, and screams and taunts all the time. I am so grateful that she has two loving parents who spent time with her explaining what was going on and have her best interest at heart. The rest of our community needs to do the same. Dave and DeGenevic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories. On KSL News Radio, Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and DeGenevic. There's a legislation that we've been talking about. It's proposed on Utah's Capitol Hill that would require school districts to pay three weeks of maternity leave uh, for Utah public school teachers. Uh, that opened the door for me to walk right on through to ask about uh, what are we doing across the state? What does the rest of the state look like when it comes to paid maternity leave? Because as a mom who went on unpaid maternity leave three times in a row, literally back to back to back, I got tired of arguing why I needed time to recover from birthing a human. And I would like it if it was paid, even if you gave me two weeks or three weeks. So I applaud Candace Perucci, the representative, who's sponsoring this legislation for teachers. We're saying, listen, you need to give people paid maternity leave. It's just three weeks. If you go to Chick-fil-A or anywhere else in the private sector, it is more than that. It's a great question. It's a great question. What is appropriate maternity leave? And there's a huge difference between paid and unpaid. Because right now, there's a lot of leniency in unpaid maternity leave. The key here is how many of us can just walk away from our job for three weeks, four weeks, five, six weeks, and not get paid? Six weeks. We uh, live paycheck to paycheck. Six weeks is bare minimum. I've had friends who hop back to work after two because they need the paycheck. Yeah. They're the breadwinner. They can't afford to be without. They have a new baby. Maybe the baby's had some complications. Uh, they need uh, money to pay for care. I worked with a, a reporter several years ago, and we were talking about this, and she said, I don't have a kid until I've built up this much time, mm-hmm. personal leave time. And and then we will start planning. But she wants to take you know three, four weeks off, whatever it was, but she built, and that was all her vacation time, her sick leave time. She was using all of that in preparation for having the child. Yeah, that's what I did with my first. And then we had our second so close to our first that I didn't have enough time to build up leave. So I quit. I literally quit. That's and what I, you had I to do. I quit Channel 4 yeah. News in 1997. I left. I walked away. We would had our, our son, our second child, um, the favorite by the way, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I took 12 weeks with our daughter, most of that unpaid, because I ran out of paid leave that I had acquired through sick time and through vacation time. So I burned my sick and my vacation time on my maternity leave and then had to take some weeks without pay. And then we had our son right away, uh, and, I, and I left the news business temporarily. And then I bounced back to the news business, and here I am. Susan Madsen, founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project at Utah State University. You've ha- I'm not the only one who has this same story. I literally quit my job uh, to care for my newborn son. And then eventually I ended up over at Fox 13, uh, where they hired me about three months later. 
Uh, so that's what women do uh, when we have unpaid leave. Uh, we, we quit, and then we go find a better, higher-paying job. So what's and the – the, go ahead. Yeah, I, I will just say I'm smiling as you're talking because your story is not unique. That's sad. But I have heard through the years from thousands of women here in the state of Utah that have struggled with the same exact thing. And it's so interesting because because we always say Utah's this family-friendly state in so many ways, and we are in certain areas, but not typically in business settings although I or workplace. But those things are changing. I'll tell you, um, we do 100 companies champion women. I'm part of that thing that we do and more and more of those companies are really finding they need to offer and even Utah I mean Utah specifically really just relies on FMLA so the Family Medical Leave Act which actually um, one of you said well there's a lot of leniency with unpaid I would argue that not even that for many people Mm. Uh, uh, because it really FMLA just covers um, very specific, you know, companies with over 50 employees, and they have to be there for a full year. But uh, I'll oh, tell so you there's that restrictions unpaid. to it. So yes. there's a, oh, oh yes. so it's not as you have to be working over a year, and it's really technically 1,250 hours, and that's been implemented. It covers many people, but not all people. And so there's it, it's really interesting because some people. As you mentioned, I mean, paycheck to paycheck, many people are, Utahns are working. And so we don't have have that luxury. Many families just don't have that luxury. We're speaking with Susan Madsen, who's over the Utah Women and Leadership Project. Um, okay, so when I when I see this coming from the schools, hey, like, what are we going to offer teachers? You know, that's a that's a public institution. How do we balance and find what to do with the the public institutions versus the private institutions? Because with the public institutions, I think it's a little easier to absorb some of the costs when a woman goes on maternity leave, whether you're replacing them for a short period of time. If you're a small business, a private institution, and you're having to account for that or, or afford that, it, it may be far more difficult. Yeah, and, and if it's a smaller one, you're not covered on that. But I'll tell you, a lot of women, if their employers are not helping them, they just their choice is to leave, just like we heard. Um, and so what the research continues to tell us, though, I mean, all the research on good family-friendly practices in the workplace is that when you do help families in these kinds of ways, these and others, that there are so many benefits in terms of loyalty, but in terms of, of productivity when the woman gets back to work. I mean, there's so many benefits the research shows on why paid family leave is, is important uh, for the family, for the baby, but also for the company. Um, and so what, what um, Representative Perucci is, is uh, really moving forward to me, I smile because that's the basics of good support. I mean, three weeks is not enough. Can I just say well, that? Well, and I think, three yeah, we all enough. acknowledge that. But I think, uh, uh, not speaking for Representative Perucci, but my sense is that it's a start. 
It's a start. Yes, it's better than exactly. nothing, and it's a start we need to get to. So, what is what is the just in general the next minute or so, Susan? What is the are more companies a significant yes. number of companies offering paid maternity leave? So now they have to compete, or now these companies that don't offer paid maternity leave are competing yes. with those who do for for good talent. Absolutely good. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Now we. We are in the next year hoping to collect a wider sample of exactly what more companies are doing, but we've collected, at least in top companies in Utah, in our 100 Companies Champion Women Initiative with the Governor's Office of Economic Opportunity. So last year, of the 100 companies we celebrated, um, 76% had a broader term, paid family leave. And that's where it goes in there. And 68% actually had back-to-work maternity support. But in addition, more companies, really these cutting-edge companies, are making sure there's lactation rooms. Man, you should hear the stories about where oh, yeah. where women... Um, yeah, I could uh, tell them live on the radio. Breaks. Yep. <laughs> you probably... Yeah. But one, a few companies that I've heard of Actually, if the woman is traveling, they will overnight on the company's bill uh, breast milk overnight at back to home. And and I'll, I'll just brag about one uh, Overstock.com. Um, they've acquired they've connected now with Bed Bath and Beyond. Right. They actually uh, two up to two years. If you're traveling and you have the, a baby, you can. They will give you a companion ticket to come with you, bring your baby and the babysitter or the the caregiver of some kind. So I'm just telling you, cutting-edge companies wow. are being creative to support their employees. And more and more, you know, with talent shortage in many industries, people are going to be looking for that because we don't want to have to choose between having a family, supporting a family, and doing what we love in the workplace many times. And some people, that's a luxury kind of thing because we have yeah. so many Utahns. That's, that's just not a luxury. Susan, that's a requirement. Susan, thank you for joining us. Susan Matson, founding director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project. I did not expect uh, to, to find the little benefit of one of the companies saying, we, if we send you out of town, we will overnight the breast milk back this. to your house. This is such That's a, amazing. This is such a worry. Um, I'll t- Okay, I'll just divulge on the radio in the next few minutes what happened to me when I was trying to breastfeed our firstborn. Um, it's, I'll just give you a hint. It's not necessarily like automatic. So going out of town and knowing that your employer has your back that will overnight... Oh, I've got stories to tell straight ahead. And we're also going to take live phone calls. Is it time? Is it time that all employers offer paid maternity leave across Utah? 801-575-TALK. 801-575-TALK. Next. Dave, Dave and DeGeneres. Oh, my goodness, Dave. Our chaos on his radio Facebook post is on fire over the question... Should employers across the state of Utah be required to offer paid maternity leave in Utah? Lots of comments on our KSL News Radio Facebook page. Uh, also taking your live phone calls, 801-575-TALK in just a moment. You might remember that President Biden's Build Back Better plan tried to address this. They were trying to have some paid family leave. And the Congressional Budget Office 
estimated how much that would cost, and this is a federal program, $200 billion. Mm. That's what it would cost to have some paid family leave. So this can be extremely expensive. On the state level or even the federal level, we can absorb these costs far easier than we can in the private sector. Oh, give me an example of what you mean by that. Well, for example, tax dollars, there just seems to be an endless supply. So if it's a school district that is looking at absorbing the cost of a teacher to take three weeks. Of maternity leave. Of maternity leave. Okay. What's that going to cost the district? Probably $1,500, $2,000 at most in substitute fees. Oh, I see how you're so thinking. So a substitute's got to come in. you got to pay the substitute well, for three weeks. It's a, it's a couple grand. It's a lot cheaper than having the teacher quit. Oh, yeah, and retrain and refine. Go hire somebody else, uh, put them through background checks, yeah. bring them up to speed. For sure. $1,500, a couple thousand dollars every two or three years for a teacher to keep them and give them some maternity leave. That that seems completely and totally reasonable. But if you're a small company and you have to absorb a couple thousand dollars mm-hmm. and, and do you have a guaranteed replacement for that worker – that it's might so be stressful. that might be far more difficult. Yeah, it's so stressful for families uh, when they're thinking about having children, and and so many times you don't necessarily know until you, you then you get married when you're worried, and then you find out your company doesn't have maternity leave, which is what happened to me. I was well into my job at another station in town. Years, I was hired there in 1990. We started having. I got married in '95. Started having babies in 1996. So I was well into my job before I was like, hmm, what's the paternity leave policy? Oops, I got to pay for it. Michelle from Mill Creek, what are your thoughts? Um, I laugh at all of this because I started having my kids when I was in 1982 and in 85. I worked for a, a tech company, a computer company at the time, and they were worldwide. And so here in Salt Lake, when I decided to have my first child, they had paid maternity leave already on the books. So I got six to eight weeks of paid maternity leave for the first one. Then I had it for the second one because they were begging to have the women come back into the workforce because it was basically a male-dominated uh, business at the time. And so to get us back, it was like, no, we'll pay for maternity leave. We want you back. We will do whatever we can to support you. We didn't have FMLA stuff yeah, back then. that was later. And that came later. Yeah, that came later. But, I mean, even as I look at this and I keep laughing because I'm going, I had it back in the 80s now. That's awesome. Remember the opinion back then. I even had my father-in-law really mad that I got that because he says, well, that's why all of our insurance rates are going up. Oh he goodness. thought that was disgusting. I, you know, I was appalled that he would think that. Because that's supporting families. Right. I mean, that's a great and, step and to support Specifically families. your family and specifically <laughs> his grandkids. Uh, okay, Michelle, thank you so much. That's a great comment. Appreciate it. Uh, Candace Perucci, representative on Capitol Hill, is sponsoring legislation that would require school districts to get on board. It's time. It's 2024. Three weeks of paid maternity leave. We're saying, listen, you need to give people paid maternity leave. It's just three weeks. If you go to Chick-fil-A or anywhere else in the private sector, it is more than that. Yeah, and some of these companies in the private sector have already figured this out. They have very good uh, programs in place, and they tell you up front, 
this is what you can expect. It's one of those benefits that they offer. We just talked to Susan Madsen, founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. They do a lot of work at Utah State University, a lot of research. And they have been looking very closely at this issue about paid maternity in uh, across Utah, maternity leave across Utah, Dave. She pointed out there are some companies that are doing it very, very well. Sounds a lot like the company Michelle worked for back in the back in the 80s. I have heard through the years from thousands of women here in the state of Utah that have struggled with the same exact thing. And it's so interesting because because we always say Utah's this family-friendly state in so many ways, and we are in certain areas, but not typically in business settings although I or workplace. Thankfully, she told us an amazing story about a local company, uh, Overstock, that is doing awesome things to accommodate uh, for their their mamas uh, who have to go on maternity leave. Uh, they'll buy like, companion tickets uh, so they can take even a babysitter with them if they are going out of town and they're traveling for work, which is amazing. She's also talking that you know companies are adding you know lactation stations. She said there's one company that would fly a mother's milk overnight it back home from wherever they were so the baby could have breakfast the next morning from their mother's milk. And this is so important because when we think about new mamas, it is not a perfect science when you are breastfeeding. I had a horrible time breastfeeding our first child. Uh, We had to supplement with uh, Infamil. I mean... Lots of that, and it was very expensive. But the, my point to saying this is that I, I could never count on being able to breastfeed in the moment, so I would try to stockpile, but I never knew if Lizzie was going to have enough. Yeah. So, And I worked in the news business. We get shipped out of town a lot. This is very, very stressful. So I love that companies are coming up with solutions to retain women in the workforce. One argument, I, I'm not saying that I have absolutely believe this, but I've heard this in the past, that you have vacation days, you have sick days that you can use. And many companies have, you know, two or three weeks of vacation that you can use, maybe another couple weeks of sick days that they allow you to use, where you could use up easily three weeks or maybe as much as five weeks, because the company policy is you can use your personal time off however you want. Uh, That includes for maternity leave. If child planning were all so simple, and we could do it on a, a clock. But we know there are couples that nine month can't clock. get pregnant. <laughs> we know that there are couples such as me and my husband who uh, had our firstborn and then were pregnant almost immediately with our second. Um, so you, you you can't, and sometimes with companies, you can't hold vacation days over. It's use or lose. Um, we got some breaking news right now. Looks like President Trump. It looks like President Trump is speaking um, after the Supreme Court hearing. So let's listen in to former President Trump. Excuse me. There was a hearing this morning at the Supreme Court regarding his eligibility on the Colorado ballot. Can I just? This was actually an opportunity for her to come. Looks like we may have lost that feed. it's not because it was. Here I got it. You know, Iraq should have never happened. That was a balance against Iran. And we blew out the balance, and now Iran has essentially Iraq. And Iraq doesn't like saying that, but that's the way it is. And uh, 
It's a shame. The world is in tremendous danger. We're in danger of possibly a World War III. And we have a man who's absolutely the worst president in the history of our country. Can't put two sentences together. Well, he's not addressing at this point. I don't know if we missed it or not, but our producers uh, and reporters in the newsroom will let us know if he said anything regarding the Supreme Court hearing this morning, which went on. It was scheduled to last about an hour and a half. Um, His attorneys were arguing he has the right to be on the ballot in Colorado um, and that uh, keeping him off the ballot would take away his opportunity to seek a second term. Um, Those who are trying to keep him off the ballot in Colorado are arguing that um, he has participated in an insurrection, which is covered by the 14th Amendment, and that he as such should not be allowed to be on the ballot to be the next president. We will continue and see how quickly the Supreme Court comes up with their ruling. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. We're looking at a recent poll right now. Um, seems to suggest that there's a dwindling sense of confidence in the American dream. Do we need to take a poll to know this? <laughs> that some citizens of the United States are now flocking to foreign lands um, to live in search of more affordability, more flexibility than they have here in the United States. Uh, Careful what you ask for. Careful what you wish for. (laughs) Because uh, you take a lot of things for granted here in the United States. Give me an example. You've lived abroad for a couple of years when you're on your mission. I've lived abroad. My kids have served missions. and, And they've seen what real housing affordability looks like. It's also rampant poverty. Uh, poverty. So I've seen a lot of examples of when, when you leave, um, yeah, in some ways you might have a more affordable home, but the job you're getting, you're not getting American wages. A lot of this is adjusted, right? What they're charging in some of these countries are congruent with the wages they are paying. Don't think you're going to take your six-figure salary here in the United States and be able to move over and get paid the same amount. Now, remote working may have changed I think that that's, a little bit. I think you just hit it on the head. I think it, you went the long way around to get to the main <laughs> point. <laughs> that we're, it's, we're, we're, it's not 1970 anymore, Dad. It's not 1980 anymore. 2018? I, I have friends who work for companies, they're global companies, they're companies here in the United States, they're worldwide, and they can live anywhere, anywhere in the entire world. The company does not care. They encourage it. 100% online. Yep. And the pay stays the same. (laughs) It doesn't matter where they live. The pay stays the same. Yeah, 100% online. Or they're just traveling so much to go to meetings um, and wine and dine clients that they don't care. They don't care where they live. Just get there. Get there to the meeting. Um, I, I love the fact that there's some flexibility with that, with jobs like that. We don't need to come to the office every single day anymore. It's great. It opens up opportunities to see the world in a different way and not be, I mean, living in the same zip code your whole life. Not looking in the mirror here, Dave. You and me. <laughs> um, so the recent numbers are pretty shocking, and they've they've it's doubled since 1999. Now a lot of things have doubled since 1999. So, you know, maybe you know maybe this is not a big shocker if you're a data analyst. But I was like, there's nine million Americans. 
Most recent numbers from 2021 show the number of Americans who have left the U.S. is at about 9 million currently, double the number in 1999. So we're flocking to other countries to live for lots of different reasons. Where are they going? Um, Canada, 40%, Western Hemisphere and Canada. That doesn't count. It does. <laughs> oh, it does. A lot of folks move up to Canada. Uh, 26%. Say they're going to Europe or they've gone to Europe. 14% to East Asia and the Pacific, New Zealand, Australia, places like that. 15%, according to a new Gallup poll of Americans, say they want to move out of the country permanently. Why do you think that is? What's your best guess? Well, I think there's a couple of things where my mind goes. I think, in part, Americans, I think, are exhausted with the political atmosphere. Bingo. Is that what it is? I think so. Yeah. yeah. It's also healthcare is one of the main reasons. Uh, other countries offer healthcare. We don't have to pay for it. Um, cost of living is a lot cheaper in other nations. I've got a breakdown of that in a moment. Have you ever thought, though, about yeah. rem- remote phoning into the show no, I, every day from Amsterdam? I don't know. Like, I, What's your country of choice? I actually have uh, some friends that moved to the Bahamas. Uh, full time. They did for that reason. They it was more affordable. That's they can work remotely. Uh, but one of the things that is is concerning and has concerned them is there's a real security issue. Yeah. Again, we take for granted some of the things that we have here in the states and and uh, you know law abiding uh, a police force that you can trust that isn't corrupt. You know these are some of the security things that we take for granted. That other countries, they don't have the same standard of police care. We're seeing this all over social media, though. This seems to be catching on among the younger generation. I think the new American dream is to leave, to pack up and head to a quiet European town or a beachside village in Asia, somewhere where we aren't being poisoned by our food, we don't need two or three jobs to survive, and where healthcare okay. isn't a luxury. Okay, but hon, the, I, I, the whole poison by your food, all right, come on. Um, I would agree, though, when I was in Paris, that food was so fresh, and I got, it was just so delicious compared to what the food I get here. Maybe it's a preservative thing, um, but I did, I did enjoy all of my meals when I was in France. Let me introduce you to the Spanish blood sausage and see how you feel. <laughs> a little different, huh? So let's look at the cost of living. In Utah, in Utah, the average home price right now is, well, let's say $550,000. And like we always like to say on the David Dijanovic Show, that comes exclusively with a 1970s avocado green toilet and a roof that leaks. Uh, so then you hop on over to Berlin. It's about 475000 so 50000 cheaper. Paris is four sixty-five. Excuse me, five sixty-five. I thought In Paris, Paris. Yeah, we thought it would wow. be a lot more. But we're, well, we're competing with Paris. Okay, okay can I? <laughs> Here in Utah. I, I see the flaw already. What is it? The median home price in Paris, France, where I've been, uh, sure, okay, comparable cost, you are not getting the same square footage. Trust me on that. Uh-huh. The livable area of Europeans compared to Americans. Oh, I see. It, you, would think, you would think they were joking in some of the places okay. they live. That, that They'll give you 800 square feet. And they're like, oh, that's... 
that's going to cost you half a million dollars. Portugal, it's 388000 Hope you speak Portuguese. Well, I'd learn. I got an app for that. <laughs> so easy to do. <laughs> and then the rental prices, too, um, are, are wildly disparate. Is that the right word? We'll get into those in a few moments. Rental prices uh, for an apartment. Wow. Cheap, cheap, cheap in some parts of the world. Um, would you would you encourage your kids, your adult kids, uh, to follow their American dream straight to another country? Just pack it up and take it with them and live in another country. Give us a phone call. I'm curious to know what our parents out there are encouraging their kids to do when it comes to the American dream. Is it move overseas and live there? 801-575-TALK. Your call's next. Dave and Jenna. Hey, before we get to your live phone calls at 801-575-TALK, it is secret contest time. This one is for our podcast listeners. It's a podcast exclusive. So here's what you need to do. You can find our podcast, The David Janovic Show, at kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And then... You can win some AirPod Pros. That's right. We're going to hook you up with some AirPod Pros every week. During the entire month of February. So make sure you listen in. As soon as you hear that keyword, text it in to 57500. Right on the money. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. We're looking at a surge of people moving out of the United States because they feel like the American dream is dead. And so they're taking their dreams to live in other countries. Maybe there's opportunities. Maybe they want the experience. Sometimes it's because they can live uh, less expensively, cheaply, uh, in another nation. I have a couple warning signs uh, that I'd like to flash at you. Having done this, having moved away and lived for two years in Spain, that's where I went. Uh, Let me just warn you, number one, learning a new language, that's not a picnic. That's not a lot of fun, in fact. Uh, and, you know, it can be exhilarating. I wanted to learn how to speak Spanish. I was excited at first until I went, and it is really difficult. And it can take you a year, a year and a half to become really proficient with the language. That's a long time to not be able to communicate and talk to people and share. And even after a year and a half, you're not able to speak to your friends like you can in your native language. You just can't communicate that well. So let me just say, if you're excited about it, it's a foreign country, new language, that's not a lot of fun. 801-575-TALK. Hey, parents, is the American dream for your kids uh, in another land, in another country? Hi, Jerry. Hello. Hi. What do you think? Would you encourage your kids to go? No, I lived in Germany for seven years growing up. And while it was a good experience overall, the cost of living is a lot higher than it is here. Um, they do have free health care, that is true, but your taxes are much, much higher mm. than they are here. So, so, w- say, so weigh everything. As- so weigh everything, right? right? Everything into consideration. Taken as a whole, I wouldn't trade the United States for anything. I'm proud to be a citizen and Aww. wouldn't live anywhere else. Well, we're lucky that you're listening. Thanks so much, Jerry. Appreciate it. Um, apartment rents in Bangkok, Thailand, six hundred fifty a month. Barcelona, Spain, fifteen hundred a month. So, somewhat comparable, but 
not quite as pricey as they are here in Utah, an yeah. average of eighteen hundred a month. In the ballpark, though, yeah. right? Yeah. And remember, if you have to move, then you're probably buying all that stuff to live <laughs> all over again. So that can be pricey as well. Let me give you another example uh, of a reason why it's not as rosy and it, as great as it might sound, because it sounds very cool. I'm going to go live in Germany for for five years or ten years, whatever. Um, this happens a lot here in the States. In the NBA, we see it. You've got people that play basketball overseas. They get drafted by a team. They come live here. They have fame. They have fortune. These are millionaires. And the most common thing that I heard from NBA players, foreign players, is they felt isolated. Mm. They felt alone. They didn't have their community, and they didn't have their culture. So a lot of the things that we kind of take for for granted, yeah. that is something probably the most common thing I hear from from foreign NBA players is they they miss the culture of their home. That's food for thought. Uh, Izzy, one of our producers here in her twenties, is going to be moving to London later this year. Um, has Dave talked to you out of talked to you out of leaving yet? <laughs> No, not quite. I mean, I definitely have the benefit of moving to an English-speaking country, so I'm not going to have to worry about a language. Um, even though learning another language sounds really fun, I'm sure it's incredibly yeah. difficult. Um, but I still am pretty excited about it I being bet. incredibly difficult. I mean, something I've told all my friends is even if I'm miserable, I'm going to be miserable in London. You know what I mean? Like, You're, Didn't you say something like, if I'm going to be broke, I might as well be broke in London. Right. I'm. It's either, for the career that I want, it's either LA or London. And I mean, they're comparable in expenses, so I might as well go where Are you know, really? all the great poets were just as miserable as all have been. It's going to be really great. <laughs> um, are your parents encouraging this? Yeah, I am really lucky to have, my dad works in the film industry and he spent a lot of time in London and my mom is kind of very gung-ho about me being in my 20s and getting to do everything that I want to do. So when I told them about it, they were both like, that's going to be really hard. Good luck, but go ahead. See if you can do it. So I'm lucky for that. I mean, I'm also moving with a friend, which is really lovely. She's going to get her master's there. So I'll still have that sense of community. But I think there's something really appealing to the young generation about going to a a bigger pond where there's bigger fish and seeing if you can do it, even if it's going to be harder, because it's hard here. Yeah. So might as well go be hard somewhere new and see if you can learn anything about yourself. Wow, Izzy. I was just thinking about that, the excitement of when I go other places and get out of Utah. I mean, I love it here, um, but I like sometimes I don't want to go on a hike, you know, <laughs> yeah. up Big Conwood Canyon. I loved like when Caitlin, our other producer, and I went to New York last year. I hadn't been to New York in decades. And I just was absorbing the nightlife, the fun, the electricity of the city. We went to several Broadway, two Broadway plays, uh, ate some great, inexpensive $2.50 a slice pizza. Um, And that's what you get when you get out. Right, right. And it's, I grew up in LA, so I'm used to a bigger city. And I do love Salt Lake. Like I found a real home here, a really great community. I'm lucky to have amazing people in my life. But there's something about walking down a main street and there's a hole in the wall and it's the $2 best food you've ever had in your life. And also then being, you know, a tube ride away from the East End, like it's it's a different life and it's a really exciting one to have the opportunity to live. And if you have the opportunity to be 23 in London, I mean, what are you going to do? Not go? <laughs> I kind of dig the excitement that I'm hearing from you. I get it. it maybe I'm a little jaded because I've done this. <laughs> what I learned, though, is... There are some very cool things. Yeah. You can only go to Big Ben so many times or Stonehenge. You're like, oh, you know what? 
seen this, been there, done that. Uh, that's the touristy stuff. I think ultimately what happens is we live very similarly to the rest of the world. They wake up, you go to work, you have chores, you got to, you right. know, you know, it's, you're living a, a pretty similar life. The stuff that I hear, you know, some of the describing, it, it's like, well, that's the touristy stuff. That's not like really living, living in different countries. I just find largely it's, it's very similar to how we live here. You sure. work, you wake up, you take care of your family. Interesting. Uh, Ernie from Bountiful. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Uh, would you encourage your kids to go live out their American dream in another country? Uh, well, I'm just calling because it's not as bad as what you're saying on the radio. <laughs> Thanks, I, Ernie. I, I'm jaded, Ernie. I'm, I've ser- I served a two-year mission in Spain, and I learned the language rather quickly. It's just what you need to do is how you approach living there. If you're going to live there like a tourist, yeah, maybe it'll take you years before you learn the language. But if you integrate yourself with the people, and the people in Spain, in my opinion, are some of the best in the world. I just love those people. When you live your language, when you don't speak English, and yeah. you go ahead and you mingle with the people, you speak their language, you don't use English. When you look at a table, you the first thought that comes to your mind is Mesa. You don't look at a table and say, table, what is that translated? No, that happens mm. when you get back. When you have to give your homecoming speech, you're saying, gee, I know the word in Spanish. I don't know what it is in English. You have to think and live like the Spaniards and mingle with them, and you'll find they're wonderful people, and there's a lot of benefits. Love it. The only thing I didn't like, you know, because I was there under Francisco Franco, I just oh. didn't wow. like feeling less free than in America, and, of course, the standard of living just was a lot less. Ernie, thank you for the phone call. Uh, nice to talk to a, f- a fellow uh, Spaniard, light, I don't know how, <laughs> uh, a visitor, a long-term visitor. Yeah, thanks, Ernie. Thanks, and Izzy, we're lucky to have you until you leave for your adventure in London um, and your job. So thank you so much. Good luck. Uh, Izzy, our producer. With their terrible food. <laughs> thanks for having me. I'm sure I'll figure something out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Straight ahead, it was a big day for President Trump once again in court. Uh, this time it was the United States Supreme Court. Um, they're going to decide whether he can be on the ballot in Colorado. He didn't say much uh, that we could tell outside the court. I just finished watching the Supreme Court. It was a beautiful thing to watch in many respects. It's unfortunate that we have to go through a thing like that. I consider it to be Okay, we're going to go live with News Nation. They're going to give us the latest on what went down at the Supreme Court of the United States this morning. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Former President Trump fighting for his uh, political life to stay on or get back on the ballot in Colorado, where he's currently off the ballot. His case before the United States Supreme Court this morning, and in typical Trump fashion, uh, afterwards doesn't doesn't say a lot other than calling the court a beautiful thing. I just finished watching. The Supreme Court is a beautiful thing to watch in many respects. It's unfortunate that we have to go through a thing like that. I consider it to be more election interference by the Democrats. That's what they're doing. So what Colorado has done is they've essentially taken his name and said it can't be on 
the primary election ballot. Now, Colorado is a deeply blue state. The president, the former president, he is never going to win Colorado anyway, so it, it doesn't super matter, practically speaking. But I think it's a really scary peek into the future where states can just say, I will accept that candidate, but not that candidate. Yes to this one, no to that one. News Nation's Washington correspondent, Kelly Meyer, uh, is in Washington, D.C. right now. Uh, Oral arguments this morning before the Supreme Court. I listened to some of them. Uh, There were a lot of questions from the justices. Uh, I was specifically listening to when President Trump's attorneys were making their case to get him on the ballot. Uh, Let's start there. Yeah, thank you for having me. We're actually outside of the U.S. Supreme Court right now doing reports for News Nation, and they just wrapped up really not too long ago, probably about 30 or 40 minutes ago. And then, as you said, former President Trump uh, came on the cameras, gave his own little press conference afterwards, and he seemed pretty upbeat. He seemed hopeful that the conservative-leaning court will uh, support his position. Three of those nine justices were nominated to the bench by him during his presidency, and they're going to decide his 2024 fate, whether or not he will be uh, on that ballot in Colorado, and if it has a downstream effect with other places that have pending uh, legislation or pending cases on similar uh, efforts to keep him off the ballot. The Trump side argues that this disenfranchises tens of millions of Americans. There were a lot of questions around how should a state or how can a state decide whether or not a candidate is an insurrectionist and therefore ineligible for the presidency. Um, There were a lot of questions um, from uh, those arguing, the lawyer arguing for Colorado voters, uh, saying that Trump put himself in this position by what they say, causing an insurrection on January 6th. Trump's lawyers argue that it was not an insurrection. It was a riot, but it did not qualify as an insurrection. So there was a lot of back and forth on all of this. Um, Ultimately, it seems as though, uh, at least right now, that the, the court might side in favor of Trump just from the way this was argued. However, they may seem that way and it could go a completely different way. They've done that in the past. Um, So it would really be interesting to see how they decide at the end of the day on this case, because I do think it could have ramifications for other states that may have pending cases. Kelly Meyer is standing just outside the Supreme Court right now for News Nation. And typically you can listen to the questions from the justices and get a little bit of an idea which way they're learning. So I I was curious, speaking specifically of the liberal justices, was there a line of questioning that you found particularly interesting? I'm trying to think back. Um, There was some questioning um, just around whether or not, mostly whether or not, you know, should he, is he qualified as an insurrectionist. How do you say whether or not Trump was an insurrectionist in this case, whether or not he's on or off the ballot? I think those questions were interesting. I'm trying to think of other portions. I took some notes in here as well because there was quite a long um, a line of questioning from both sides. It did seem as though even the liberal justices were, were you couldn't really tell, they were open to hearing from both Trump lawyers and the lawyer representing the Colorado voters who ultimately brought this case because it was the Colorado uh voters in the fall that filed the lawsuit under the provision of the Constitution, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, known as the Insurrectionist Clause, to disqualify a presidential candidate. And then the Colorado Supreme Court upholded that. And then that's what brought us here to the Supreme Court today. The Colorado Supreme Court decided Trump was ineligible for the presidency due to his conduct on January 6th. The court ordered him to be excluded off the GOP presidential primary ballot. Trump appealed. And now it's at the hands of the Supreme Court. So 
it all kind of circled back to that original bit of questioning, a lot of questions under what constitutes uh, the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, uh-huh. um, a lot of questions, historical precedent in there as well. Um, so it, it is interesting. There's a lot in there, and whether or not they ultimately side with Trump's lawyers in this, um, it definitely will uh, have kind of that waterfall effect, I think. Yeah. Ke- Kelly, um, Trump's legal team, uh, his, his counsel, Jonathan Mitchell, uh talked about um, that the ban uh, only applies to appointed officers and not elected officials. Let me let me play a clip from him as he was standing before those the justices. Officer of the United States refers only to appointed officials, and it does not encompass elected individuals such as the president or members of Congress. Did it feel like he was trying to wordsmith it to say, hey, though my client was elected, he's not an officer? Did, did it feel like, like that in the courtroom? Yeah, there were a lot of questions around that, especially around from the more liberal justices on if he was kind of just, you know, splitting hairs at that point, whether, you know, he's an officer, whether basically the Trump lawyers were trying to argue that because he was president, he's not under the same category as others. And for the Colorado voter lawyers, um, voters lawyer, basically saying that just because he's president, he shouldn't be uh, immune from uh, being upheld or, or, you know, being held accountable in a way. Um, So there was a lot of questions around that. Uh, Definitely a debate in there around officer, officers. And I think there was also a moment in there when they were trying to move on with the questioning and then Elena Kagan came back and said, well, can we move, can we come back to this officer stuff later? And then the, the courtroom kind of laughed. It was just a moment of comedic relief in all of this wow. where, you know, you had this kind of like, okay, can we come back to that? So it did seem civil. It did seem like justices on both sides of, you know, the, the, the aisle, so to speak, you know, were respectful and, and had uh, a lot of questions around this and seemed thoughtful. Um, so, and I think understand the the weight of this decision. Were the justices concerned about the precedent that this might set? I didn't exactly. I can't point to a moment where they pointed to that. Um, I I think though, you know, watching this from the outside, as there's just you now, I'm looking at the amount of reporters that are here outside of the Supreme Court covering this and the media attention this is getting. The biggest story of of the day really the month, um, just that this is something that the Supreme Court really hasn't looked at before, this type of precedent. And then also the fact that they haven't been this involved in a presidential election since Bush versus Gore 24 years ago. And Hmm. I think um, them being involved in this, I think this throws the Supreme Court front and center into the 2024 presidential race in a way unlike we've ever seen before. Um, So I think maybe they didn't draw attention to it, but I think all of us around the Supreme Court and watching and listening know just how important this decision is. We are connecting our own dots for sure. Kelly Meyer, thank you for joining us from News Nation. Uh, Next, uh, the top story of the day, uh, state school board member Natalie Klein here in Utah being told to resign by parents of a high school girls basketball player who was publicly humiliated on Klein's Facebook post. Uh, If you missed it earlier and you don't know about this story, we're going to tell you what that post was all about and the comments uh, that made this girl out to be a transgender player. Uh, She is not. Her parents have said as much, and others have confirmed she is not. She is a she. Here's the mom's child uh, that a lot of people 
adults on Facebook were publicly shaming. And in a moment, we're going to get a live report from KSL 5 Television's Shelby Lofton, who talked to this child's, the, this girl's mother and father. To look at someone's outer appearance and make an assumption that they are either playing in the right arena or not, based on the way someone looks, I don't think is appropriate. Dave Indigenovic. Dave Indigenovic. Special coverage of the top local story. A high school girl plays on the girls' high school basketball team in the Granite School District. Publicly shamed when state school board member Natalie Klein uploaded a photo of this teen, photo of the child in her basketball uniform, that insinuated she was transgender. And then the pile-on of comments on that Facebook post was absolutely horrible. And they baked on that Facebook post, on Klein's Facebook post, for hours, Dave. And we just got a statement from the State Board of Education that says the Utah State Board of Education leadership condemns the actions taken by board member Natalie Klein on her recent Facebook post directed toward a female high school student athlete in Utah. The parents have asked her to resign. Uh, They spoke last night to KSL Television's Shelby Lofton about uh, how they handled this with their child. Let's start with her because she is the most important person in this entire discussion is this 16-year-old girl, Shelby. That's right. She's only 16. It's hard enough to be a teenager, much less be at the center of a highly controversial post. Talked to the parents yesterday, and they said they decided to wait until after school, after practice, to tell her about this post. They said their daughter does not have social media on her phone, so they figured let her go through her day, get through her classes, get through her sports, and then talk to her. And they said that they were heartbroken to have to pull their daughter aside and read her this post. They said they chose not to read the comments to her because they were so hateful, but instead focused on the support they were getting from their community. Did they say how she took the news? They said that their daughter is tough on the exterior, but she is someone who internalizes things. And they think, as of last night, that this really hasn't sunk in, that this will take some time for her to come to terms with. We know that uh, the state school board will meet this afternoon. Um, We will be covering that story. Has Natalie Klein spoken to you, anybody that you know of at KSL 5 TV? Because we put a request in early this morning to have her join the show, and we have not. Is that right, Caitlin, to say she still has not responded to our request? The answer is, is no, she hasn't. Have Have you had any contact with her at all? To It was like, why would you do this? Our newsroom reached out last night before our report at 10 o'clock, and she forwarded the Facebook post that she had written up in response to this original post that sparked all of this. Now, do we know, um, now some of the additional posts that I saw after had the the girl's face um, scratched out, so you Mm -hmm. couldn't see her face on the post. You could see her muscular arms, and that's what a ton of people started where they started assuming, well, she must be a he. And right. also, Natalie Klein's post, to be specific, was, was it said, you know, girls basketball, dot, dot, dot. No question mark. Girls basketball. But how I read it in my mind is girls basketball, dot, dot, dot. Do we know if, uh, for sure, Shelby, if Natalie Klein uh, blurred this child's face? I mean, she is a state school board member, so... I can't even believe the post went up to begin with. Did she, do we know if she blurred the face so people could 
tell couldn't tell who this child was for sure. The parents of this girl screenshot everything, and they sent me a copy of that original post, and it does not blur out their child's face at all. It's clear as day. You can see who this child is in oh that original goodness. post. Oh, my goodness. Um, the mom said something to you that I thought was just so spot on to just assume that somebody is uh, not their gender, which she is. Uh, she was born a girl. That's right. Um, is just it just speaks volumes to um, how quickly we make a judgment and we and and it, you shouldn't assume just by a body type somebody's gender which i thought was just absolutely spot on i mean we assume so much and we are they were flat wrong that's right both of the parents said they were most frustrated by the lack of fact finding they said this person on our school board is someone who's meant to advocate for the well-being of our child, the safety of her children, and they didn't go about asking where these pictures came from, what the child's gender was. They said no one reached out and asked about our child. Instead, they just posted without consent a picture of their 16-year-old girl and insinuated that she was a boy, transgender. And they just said they're highly disappointed, and they said someone in her position she should resign after making a mistake like that. And the resignation is crucial because in this letter that we just received from the Utah State Board of Education, they specifically say the board has no power or authority to unseat elected officials. So it would require a resignation for her to leave this post. We have three reporters on this today. So we're tackling and, and trying to explain to our viewers and everyone following this story how does this play out from here? Will she resign? We're we're also calling on Natalie Klein to come forward and talk. Yeah, absolutely. We've uh, done the same thing. Asked her to join our show. We have not heard back. Um, what is the in the future, the near future for this this uh, young lady that uh, was so terribly humiliated on Facebook? I'm I'm hoping that she just goes right back to school and she's senses the love of the community. I hope the same for her. I know her parents have said that they are really rallying around her, that they're focusing on the support they've received. But her father said something very poignant. You know, other children who are victims of cyberbullying don't necessarily have a strong community. What if she didn't? This could have led to her ending her own life. And, And that is the grave consequence of things like this. So they're focusing on being positive and and supporting their daughter and also being transparent with her. But even last night when I went to interview them, she was out with friends. They just want her to continue normal life. Good. And I I am a little bit concerned about that with all the attention that we're bringing to it as the media Mm -hmm. and the community. We absolutely need to hold this board member accountable for, for what she did, but by as collateral damage sometimes by talking about it and bringing so much attention to it. I wonder if it is perpetuating the problem. Well, I think we report stories and unfortunately a state board member, somebody's entrusted with the care of children and making sure they, she has their best interest at heart has created a firestorm around this one child. And as you said, it appears from what the parents had screenshotted, uh, it took, no measures from what we know so far to protect the identity of this child. We have taken those measures here to not name the child, 
uh, not say what school she attends. Right. Uh, you blurred the photo of her last night when mm-hmm. I saw it on the news uh, because this came from a flyer that looked like it had been screen grabbed uh, and then posted on Klein's Facebook page. And it was a school flyer, right? So the girl's parents say that it looks like Klein screenshotted a, an Instagram post. And, okay. she, and Klein said in her follow-up post that she had received multiple messages from concerned parents. And that's where she got these. And then another one they believe was taken during the game Tuesday night of a banner hanging in the school gym that shows their daughter in uniform with her fellow student athletes. Well, they take those photos of, I mean, my kids had those photos oh, yeah. taken too. Those are a big deal. And so they think that it came from a fly, one of those big banners inside the school gym. Someone took it during the wow. during the game and sent it to Natalie Klein. Is, is, she has come out since deleted the post and apologized. Um, just quickly, Shelby, uh, did the parents feel satisfied with that? Or have you had a chance to take uh, that question to them yet? I asked them and they said, no, an apology on Facebook is simply not enough. They're asking for a public apology. They did say that Natalie Klein had reached out to them and sent them a long message asking to meet in person. They said, quite frankly, we're not sure if we're ready for that or if we'll ever be ready for that. That's something they'll decide on their own time. They only found out about this about 24 hours ago. Shelby Lofton, thank you for joining us. KSL 5 Television. Really great reporting, Shelby. We'll be paying attention to continuing coverage today uh, on KSL 5 TV and, of course, right here at KSL News Radio. Next, um, our favorite psychologist, Dr. Tom Golightly. We need him in a moment like this. We have several questions. I mean, first of all, first and foremost, I mean, I think if this was my child, um, I, I after I picked myself up off the ground from crying about this, I mean, I would be holding them. Um, I think these parents did the right thing by talking to their child. So we're going to ask Dr. Tom, what is the next step for this child? Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. With big stories like this, we certainly rely on our colleagues at KSL 5 TV to bring us the latest as they look into the situation involving a state school board member who made a social media post that humiliated a girls' high school basketball player in the Granite District. Yeah, had posted a picture of a girl basketball player, and then in the post insinuated that that basketball player is a transgender girl and shouldn't be playing on the girls' basketball team. That has been proven to be a, a total lie. That That is not the case. Uh, the parents, the girl, have spoken to us here at KSL. Uh, Lindsay Ertz joins us right now about the possible ramifications for uh, Natalie Klein, who is the Utah school board member that made that post. Lindsay, thanks for joining us. Uh, we just have an up- Hi, guys. Good to be with you. Yeah, we, we just have a little bit of an update today in terms of, uh, you know, the State Board of Education is speaking out this morning, condemning the actions of Natalie Klein. So I know you guys have a hold of that post, too. They say they are uh, working on taking action, but they did not specify what that could be or what that might be. Now, there's a little bit of protocol in place here that probably we need to make people aware of in terms of just the board um, executive, the, the leadership, the executives of the board have to publicly notice when they get together and when they meet, and they have to do that within 20, for 24 hours in advance. And so it hasn't been 24 hours since this was all happening. And so 
they um, have to make that known um, to the public. So there's a little bit of protocol there, but uh, in terms of what action they could take, we hope to kind of get some answers on that today. Um, And and so far we've also heard, and we're going to hear it in a moment from the Democrats on Capitol Hill, uh, they're calling for the immediate resignation of the Utah School Board member Natalie Klein. Uh, This follows the parents' call uh, as well, this of this child for her resignation, uh, which they told uh, Shelby Lofton last night on KSL Five TV, uh, re- you know, asked for her resignation. Has anybody talked to Natalie Klein that you're aware of? Uh, does she intend to stay where she's at, or is she uh, contemplating resignation at this point? Do you know? Well, I have gotten one text message from her, and it is the same thing that Shelby got. She pointed us back to the post where she made the apology. So it's pretty clear that she's not wanting to speak publicly about this, um, but we are working to continue to reach out to her and give her an opportunity to explain herself here. That's what we do in the media as well. Um, I also wanted to point out some of the removal process um, in terms of impeachment. That's something a lot of people have been calling for. And that is a legislative process that would have to start with the House of Representatives, similar to when a president is impeached, uh, you know, for high crimes and misdemeanors or malfeasance in office. That is the standard. It has to start there. Right. And I will I will just kind of point out that Utah is very um, I I don't know what the word I'm looking for is like uh, we're very. Uh, judicious with yeah. how yeah reserved. reserved with when we use yeah. impeachment we don't sure. do it like congress does it right where we're right. just possibly impeaching everyone um so we're very reserved with that we've had prior attorney generals who have faced criminal charges who have yet to be impeached or were not impeached or were tried but not convicted in the senate okay. and so we're very judicious with that process but we are pushing lawmakers to give us a response on that too today um, so I just want to talk about the process because the State Board of Education does their right when they say they don't have the authority to remove her from the board. She can resign. She can step down. Uh, there is an impeachment process, but that is kind of very last resort. Yeah. And then also there's the process of just the public and um, the ramifications that the board could do in terms of stripping her of her committees and her assignments and things like that. Lindsay Ertz. Thank you for the update. Uh, We will continue to follow your coverage on KSL television uh, as we continue to follow this story. Thanks, Lindsay. Lots of developments happening all day long um, and throughout uh, the next couple of days, certainly. If they're going to post that meeting, we'll have to wait and see when that meeting at the State Board of Education is held. We'll be checking in in just a moment with a representative uh, from the from the House of Representatives on Capitol Hill. The Democrats there calling for the immediate resignation of uh, state school board member Natalie Klein. Dave, Dave. and Dejanovic. The governor and the lieutenant governor issuing a joint statement regarding the conduct on social media of state school board member Natalie Klein. Um, condemning it, saying that she had embarrassed the state of Utah with that social media post about that 16-year-old high school basketball player who is a girl, who was playing on the girls' team, but the post that Klein put up on Facebook, and it sat there for hours and hours, made it seem like she was transgender. And the comments uh, that lit up her page uh, speaking about her as though 
she was a he, were inaccurate. She is a girl. Her parents have spoken out. They're calling for her resignation. And now the Democrats on Capitol Hill have joined the parents' call for immediate resignation of Utah school board member uh, Natalie Klein, Dave. Yeah, I can't imagine, I can't understand why Klein wouldn't confirm this first. Number one, you're dealing with a minor. You're dealing with someone that is clearly under 18. This is a high school basketball team. So before you do anything, shouldn't the warning bells be going off that, hey, this is a kid. I better get this one right. But that, number one, that's that's a huge issue. Number two, if there was a situation where a transgender girl was playing on a girl's basketball team, you don't know whether she's there legally or illegally because that's handled privately behind the scenes by the school. So if you had a, a real concern, then you should have gone to the school and figured out, okay, is this is this in accordance to Utah law? And then if the answer is no, 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 okay, then I can see maybe addressing it, never posting the picture, never humiliating the child, but you could address it on some level. But this was a failure from the second she hit send to the moment she deleted it and probably <laughs> everywhere in between. And she's issued an apology statement uh, that – that's quite lengthy, uh, apologizing uh, for the post, uh, but also saying a number of other things in that as well. It's almost trying to, what do I want to say, defend the post as though we're going through times right now where we question and people question whether somebody is transgender or not. No, that was the question that was raised by your post, in my view, Natalie. Nobody was raising that question of this child that I'm aware of, but you're saying a number of parents have reported this to you. And we've learned from um, KSL 5 Television's Shelby Lofton, who spoke to the parents of this child, that uh, it appears that this post did not have this child's face covered. Shouldn't be even posted in the first place, but didn't have it blurred. So her face was on social media. So now you've identified the child. Um, it also appears as though uh, one of the photos that was posted is of one of the posters or banners that numerous schools take all over the place of children. And they post them uh, playing sports. They post them in you know, arenas. They post them on baseball fields. They post them on the city streets oh, where yeah. I live. Yeah. You know? So, uh, and that was another one of the photos that was posted. It appeared to the parents and to also KSL 5 television, Shelby Lofton. Live with us right now, uh, Utah House of Democrats uh, Representative uh, Angela Romero, live on the line. She's the minority leader on Capitol Hill. Um, you're calling, the Democrats are gotten together and are now calling for Klein's resignation. Yes, we are. And if she doesn't resign, we are looking at what can be done to impeach her. Well, that's a great question because we received a statement from the Utah State Board of Education, and they said the board has no power or authority to unseat an elected official. So what avenues does the state legislature have? We are looking into that, so we're consulting with our attorneys to see if there's a pathway. What was your reaction to the to uh, board member Klein's post on her Facebook page? I wasn't surprised because she's always posting hateful, 
mean, derogatory things about people who don't um, think like her. And um, But what's shocking about it is the fact that she targeted a young person who um, is just trying to live their life and, and participate in sports. And it really bothers me because we as a legislature passed some really horrific bills this last session. And I just think that people like Mrs. Klein are going to continue to harass marginalized people, young people that don't fit their stereotype of who a person should be. She has apologized several times, uh, or at least in the post uh, that that came after this, uh, where she apologized several times. My deepest apologies for the negative attention. Um, What do you make of the apology? I think it's a fake apology because how many times has she had to apologize to different individuals or different groups because she said horrific things about them. So it's, it's too little too late and she should do us all a big favor and just resign. And I know I'm not the only one that feels this way. I know this is felt throughout our body. Um, have you talked, have you talked to the Republican party? Have you talked to the house, spoken to the house speaker about uh, his uh, feelings about a possible impeachment process up there on Capitol Hill? Not yet. We've been on floor on the floor all day. So um, we are, breaking up into our caucuses and and um, sometime today we'll have that conversation hopefully. Utah Minority Leader Representative Angela Mero is is joining us right now and I, I know this is this is very raw and ha- have you um, reached out or have you heard from the family have they done any kind of uh, made any contact with with you or with the your colleagues? I have a member in my caucus who's um, friends with a friend of the family who has been, you know, exchanging information. Um, I'd like to keep that confidential. Yeah, well, we understand. And we also have been working to keep the uh, the child's name and obviously the fa- her face confidential. Um, I, so when would you know for sure, uh, Representative Romero, when you might start this process? Um, that's a good question. It, I mean, this is all, like you said, new. It's all raw. And so um, we just got off the floor doing the people's business, and now we're going to meet with our caucus, and we're going to talk to our um, our staff and our attorneys, and we'll see what happens from there. Representative Angela Romero, thank you. The governor and thank lieutenant you. governor also issuing a joint statement. As I said earlier, they denounced the behavior of Utah School Board member Natalie Klein, uh, saying that Klein has embarrassed the state of Utah and the State Board of Education, also together uh, urging the State Board of Education to hold her accountable. They also commended in their statement the Granite School District, uh, where this child attends schools in the Granite District, for taking swift action to protect this child's safety and well-being. We also reached out to the Granite School District this morning, asked them to join the show to, you know, to answer the question, like, what are the next steps to continue to protect this child and protect her school? Um, And they said, you know, uh, we're not going to be making any um, comments, you know, on air today. But they had indeed issued a statement uh, last night about this, um, saying that they had significant concerns with the apparent intent of board members of Klein's post and are working to ensure the safety and well-being of the student, Dave. Now, I, I thought it was great. As we were talking to Amy Donaldson earlier in the show, and Amy Donaldson is a longtime reporter, has specifically covered 
women's sports, girls' sports for decades. And I've worked closely with with Amy for years, so she really is an expert uh, on these things. And she said there's two things that stood out to her. Number one, obviously the post was in poor taste uh, and, and obviously crossed a line. But she said, what if this child had been transgender? Would it still have been inappropriate? And she described why it would have been. Because state law prohibits transgender girls from participating on girls' teams here in the state of Utah. That is some recent legislation that just passed last year. Said, but that is that is determined. There is an avenue where trans girls can play on girls' teams, but they have to go through a process where they meet with a committee. It's handled very much on a local school level, school by school level, where they make this petition. They request the ability for their trans uh, child to play on the girls team. And all of this is the key. It's all done in private. It is not meant for to be announced with a bullhorn to the public. This is a private matter that is handled privately, and that was a crucial part of the Utah state law. And that is another layer to what made this post so incredibly inappropriate. Number one, the fact that she didn't fact-check any of this and got the story wrong at at every level, that was uh, abhorrible. But the second level was, even if you were right, you handled it wrong. Because she would have a right to play. She would. Gone she the, may very well have yeah. the right to play. And if she didn't, then there's a more discreet way to handle this, not to shout it from the rooftops of social media. We're going to continue to track this story every turn uh, that develops throughout the day. We'll be checking back with the Democrats to see where their efforts uh, to start an impeachment process um, goes, and also with the State Board of Education. Uh, that has condemned uh, what Natalie Klein posted to her Facebook page. More as well from Maria Chaleos. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday starting at 9 or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win.